Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Now, I wanna say that we are starting a new series. Let the church say amen. Amen. Even those who are in the building with me, you can say amen. We are starting a new series and I'm super excited about it. I just first wanna give a shout out to to George, to uh, Paula, to Jeremiah, who just came through in a strong way through the month of November, and they carried us through the month of November with our series, uh, um, Thanks for Nothing. They did an awesome, amazing job, and I just want to say thank you, and not for nothing, but thank you sincerely for carrying us through the month of November so that I could get a little, a little respite. I can get a little respite. Uh, we might have to run that back again and just do that more often. Uh, but it was certainly, I'm certainly grateful for them just being able to hold it down for us. And I know that you all were blessed. You all were blessed by the message as well. And uh, right now, though, we're going to transition and we're going to spend the, the month of December really talking about God's plan. Now, obviously, it's Christmas, right? It's the Christmas season. It's the Christmas holiday. And there are a lot of churches out there right now who are really, you know, shaping and forming their sermons and their messages around this Christmas theme, the Christmas story. Uh, rightly so, because, because of what happened in the birth of Jesus is just so impactful um, to all of us that the reason why we're here is because Jesus came as a baby, but not just that he came that he lived his life and he went to the cross and died for us. And so for that, we are just so grateful. Um, and so I just felt compelled that, you know what, I really wanna focus over the next several weeks on God's plan and what is God's plan and how we can better understand God's plan for your life. Now, I just wanna say, that if you are a part of the Relove community, you know, you would normally come to our worship service and you would, you're, you've been faithful and consistent in watching our worship services online that I know that these messages will be a blessing to you. But I also just want to say to that person who's watching right now who normally may not be aware of our church somehow, maybe someone sent you the link um, and you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, maybe someone shared it on their page uh, and you are friends with them and so you're watching this right now um, or somehow maybe you just were browsing YouTube and you stumbled upon our live feed. I just wanna let you know right now that if that is you, that God has a plan for your life. Let me just let that sink in just for a moment. Right, God has a plan for your life. Even though you may not personally be in an intimate relationship with God, maybe you have not yet accepted him as your savior, maybe you have not fully surrendered to him, I still wanna let you know that God has a plan for your life. That God's plan for his people isn't just for those who are, who are walking in fellowship and intimacy with him. No, God sees you and God knows you and God loves you and God has a plan for your life. And so we're gonna be unfolding God's plan and how how we can, in a real sense, really kind of reconcile God's plan with our plan, right? And so that's what we're going to be dealing with all, all month long. And so I'm super excited about this series. And we just want to jump in. You know, there is an old quote that says, um, there's an old quote that says, if you fail to plan, then you plan 
to fail. Have you heard that before? If you've heard that before, just put it in the chat. Give me a thumbs up emoji. If you, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And as simple as that quote may sound, it is packed with the frightening reality that if you don't plan, if you don't have a plan, then the chances of you actually accomplishing that which you plan to do will be slim to none. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Essentially, what that's saying to us is that it's not enough just to desire to do the right thing. Uh, You've got to plan to do the right thing. It's not enough just to desire to lose that weight. And I'm preaching to myself in this moment right now. You actually have to have a plan, right? You have to have a plan to want to to lose that weight. It's not enough just to desire to graduate with a 4.0. You have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. What are you going to do? How often are you going to study? Who's going to be your study partner? Are you going to get some tutors? You actually have to have a plan. It's not enough just to desire to have a happy marriage. Come on now. And I just want to stop and say, let me just give a shout out, right, to my bride right now who's not in the building, but we are celebrating 10 years of happy marriage, happy marriage today. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Today is our 10-year anniversary. And, uh, and we had a plan, Paula. We had a plan, right? And that's why we've made it 10 years so far. We've had a plan. Um, so it's not enough just to have a plan to have a happy marriage, but you also have to, excuse me, it's not enough just to want to have a happy marriage. You have to have a plan, right? You have to have a plan. What are you going to do when times get rough, as in marriage they will get rough, amen, somebody, And when it feels like, you know, there's only one option and that's to throw in the towel, as at times you will feel that way, what is your, what is your plan? Right? You have to have a plan in everything. It's not just enough to say, man, I want to save up and I want to have a nice nest egg and a nice retirement. You have to have a plan to actually do. You see, see, if if all you do is have, um, if if all you do is say, you know what, I, I, I want to do these things, but you don't actually have a plan to do those things. And what we would call that is you just have glorified desire right? You just have a glorified desire. You, you desire to maybe have a, a, a nice job or a good retirement or a happy marriage. And, and desires are good as long as they then motivate you to have a plan. But if those desires don't actually motivate you to actually develop a plan, then the desires actually mean nothing. You have to have a, a plan. And there are many lives and marriages and children's and, and finances that have been wasted and that have not reached their potential because they have had no plan to succeed. Many brilliant minds have been destroyed because they thought they had desire, but they had actually no, no plan. Desire will only take you so far in life. At some point, you have to have a plan. If you're dating someone and you say, man, we want to save ourselves for marriage. Well, you just can't say you want to save yourself for marriage. You actually have to have a plan that when it's uh, Friday night and Saturday night and you're sleepy and they're sleepy and, you, and you're cuddled up together, what's your plan to make sure that you don't find yourself in that compromising situation? You got to have a plan. It, it got quiet online and in the church. You got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan, right? It's not enough just to say that you want to, you know, go to college or get a job. You have to have a plan. In fact, if you can just put that in the chat, get a plan, get a plan, get a plan, get a plan. You have to have 
a plan for every area and every domain of your life. What is your plan of action? And the, and the reason why we're talking about this and this whole concept of planning, it's, not, it's really not a new concept. We all understand this, at least on a, on a theoretical level and, and even on a practical level, we recognize the necessity of planning and making sure that we have a plan. You know, um, but we see that even how we live our lives and how God created us. And when we look into nature, we see very clearly that God had a plan. When you think about the stars, he didn't just one day decide that I'm going to do something. No, he actually had a plan. He didn't just kind of randomly throw some things together. He had a plan for how the the sun would work and the solar system would work. He had a plan for, for how your body would work and your brain would work and your nervous system. And he had a plan for your digestive system. He had a plan for just in case Adam and Eve messed up and they, and they ate the fruit. He had a plan. It's actually called the plan of salvation, right? That God is fundamentally a planner. So for all my non-planners out there, take that. I want you to know that God is a planner. He is a detail-oriented God. Amen, somebody. And not just does God or did God have a plan for the universe and for the solar system and for nature and for creation and for how he shaped and formed your body. But God also had a plan for your salvation. But then on a, on a mac- macro level, he had a plan for your salvation. But on a micro level, God has also has a plan for your life. We know this because Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, a very popular text, tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. In fact, can you just like turn to the person next to you, if there's someone next to you and say, God knows the plans he has for you, right? God knows the plans he has for you. God is a planner. And when he thinks about your life, he did not, he did not fail to come up with a plan for your life. You might not have a plan for your life, but God has a plan for your life because the Bible tells us, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God knows the plans for every single one of you. Some of you all, you might have been born in a less than ideal situation. Maybe your parents just got together as a one night stand. Maybe you were an accident. And even though your conception might have appeared to be an accident, God God still has a plan for you, that you're not an accident in his eyes, that no matter what were the circumstances of your arrival and no matter how you've been treated by your parents or how you've been treated by those who are supposed to be taking care of you when you're a child, God has a plan for your life. But the reality is I've experienced it and I'm sure many of you all can testify with me that the thing about God's plan Paula, is that God's plan doesn't always make sense. In fact, if I'm honest, most of the time it feels like God's plan doesn't make sense. Am I the only person that's ever been in that situation where it's like, God, like, I kind of get what you're doing, but really? Like, that's how this thing is going to go down? Like, Like, a lot of times God's plan just doesn't make sense. In fact, I think some of us would agree with me that sometimes they just seem, God's plan just seems like it is straight up foolishness. Like, like the, what you're asking me to do and why you're asking me to do it and how and why you've placed me in this situation, in this dilemma, with these set of circumstances, God, that, 
Why would you do this? How would you do this? Why would you set me up like that? And for some of us, I think we can just really, we feel at times that God just really set us up and that God, your plan is like literally straight foolishness. I mean, I can look through the word of God and I can see time after time and story after story where it appears that God, like, I I get why the people were so kind of like bewildered at what you were asking them to do. The fact that you told Abraham to go and to sacrifice his child, Isaac, his only child, to me, it's like, I can understand why Abraham might have been like a little bit, um, God, you sure about that? Like that don't really make a whole, whole lot of sense. The fact that you called David to be, to be king when he had other brothers who were, who were older, stronger, and probably more qualified. I can understand why David's father was probably like, uh, you sure about that? Like, you sure he's the one? I mean, I mean, sometimes God's plan just doesn't make sense. I can only imagine how Noah felt when Noah got the word that, you know what, I want you to build an ark because I'm about to send a storm, a flood that will, that, will, that will destroy the entire world. I'm sure Noah was like, you sure about that? And you want me to preach for how long? And I've been preaching for how long, God? And after I preached for a hundred some years, ain't nobody but my family, like, join the church? Like, like, am I sure that this was the right? And now you want me to get on the, this ark? Like, I can only imagine if we step out of our, our privileged position of having hindsight, right? Hindsight is a privileged position. If we step out of our privileged position and we step into the shoes of Noah and we stepped into the shoes of Abraham and if we stepped into the shoes of, of, of David's father and if we stepped into the shoes of many of the men and women that we have read about, we would probably come to the same conclusion that they came to on the front side that God, like, like what you're asking me to do really makes absolutely no no sense. And I think the reality is, is that, I mean, we don't even have to step into David's shoes or to Noah's shoes. Many of you, you can just look back over your life and you can look at the times when God has called you to do certain things or to go certain places or to quit certain things. I mean, there have been relationships that I was in uh, that God called me out of. And at the time I was like, God, that don't make no sense. Like, why, why, why would I leave? No, God, that don't make no sense whatsoever. Oh, but after meeting my wife and 10 years later, praise the Lord. Yeah, see the blessing, the, the, the blessed privilege of hindsight, right? It all makes sense. But, but in the moment, in the moment, a lot of us, when we look at the plan of God, what appears to be the unfolding of the plan of God for our life, it appears foolish. Because from our perspective, we can't see what God sees. And as long as we operate from what we see, we will always come to the conclusion that what God is calling us to do or how it appears God is leading our life really makes no sense. That's what I wanna talk to you about today is that what do you do when God's plan makes no sense? You see, what I've learned is that we make decisions based off of our logic right? Our logic. And our logic, which, you know, no cap, no shade, our logic is, is largely based off of our past experiences. So I've had an experience with someone, you know, and I realize that, okay, uh, based off my past experience, this is how this person operates. So I'm going to come to the logical conclusion that, you know, past behavior is the greatest indicator of future performance, right? And so we make decisions based off of our logic, which is based off of our past experiences, but not just based off of our past experience, but our logic to a degree is also based on our fears. So our logic 
which is literally the seat from which we make decisions, is based on past experience and fears. And those past experiences and fears are largely the sum total of our successes and failures. So I've done something in the past. I had success. That becomes a feather in my cap. I now move forward and say, you know what? I know if I do A or I know if one plus one equals two, it worked in the past, it'll work again in the future. That is a logical decision or I'm coming to a logical conclusion. And a lot of our successes and failures of which are the sum total of our past experiences of which we make decisions based off of, our successes and failures are largely rooted in our five senses. So it is what have I seen and what have I tasted and what have I touched and what have I smelt and what have I heard and what have I, ha, have I, have I experienced? These things that I have experienced lead me to the conclusion based off of my successes or failures that this is a positive or a negative thing. And based off whether it's a positive or negative thing, I will then register that in my mind and that will then inform any future decisions. And if someone asks me to do something contrary to what I already know in the past, well, then I'll just come to the conclusion that I probably won't do that because logically it just does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, we've all been there and there's tons of examples that we could use, right? That, that things that we've done in the past that we've learned from our experiences, which inform how we make decisions today. But the thing about God is that God doesn't make decisions based on our logic, right? right? I mean, I think that's like, like Christian journey 101, right? Like God doesn't make decisions based, I wish he did sometimes. Wait, let me think about that. You know, I, I don't know, but what we do know is that God doesn't make decisions based on our logic. What God does is he makes decisions based on his infinite wisdom. And his infinite wisdom and our logic are simply not the same. Like breaking news, like some of you all didn't even know, know that. Some, some, of you all, some of you all thought that you, you actually are infinite wisdom. No, 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 my friend, you're not. Like, like your logic as rooted as it may be in your past experiences, which are based off of what you have touched, taste, felt, smelt, and heard, your senses are not the way or the reason or the foundation by which God makes decisions or the reason, the way, the basis for how God plans your life. He makes plans according to his infinite wisdom. Okay, let me just try to break this down a little bit for you. Um, so we say infinite wisdom, but for all my parents in the house, you all know, uh, we might not call it infinite wisdom. All of my parents in the house, we have this thing called parental wisdom. Do I got a witness, right? We have this thing called parental wisdom, where your kid comes to you, uh, like my child, children come to me nearly every morning when I'm outside, whether watering the grass or doing something in the yard, pulling in the trash cans, collecting the mail, first thing in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, nearly every morning, my daughters, when I'm outside, they open the garage, right? Pray for me. They open the garage because they know I'm outside. They come outside and they ask me nearly the same question every single morning. And nearly every single morning, I give them the same answer. And this is their question. Daddy, can you turn on the sprinklers so we can run in the water? Makes no sense to me right? Can you turn on the sprinklers so we can run? Like the sprinklers that water the grass, they want me to turn on the sprinklers. Now they come out in their pajamas, right? They came out, they just woke up. And the first thing they want to do in the morning is they want to go run in the water. Now in my parental wisdom, 
I know that's a bad idea on a number of levels. Number one, if it's cold outside, you're probably going to catch a cold, right? Number one. Number two, you're going to run in the water and you're going to get wet and I'm going to have to come and help you get changed. And I don't got time and energy for all that, right? Number three, we got things to do this morning of which running in the water ain't a part of the plan, right? And so in my parental wisdom, I say, no, baby, I can't turn on the sprinkler so you can run in the water. And in their innocence, they ask the, the million dollar question that every child asks, which is what? Why? Yes. Why? Why not? And they don't just ask it like a very mature, like, you know, poor K father. Like, tell me why. Like, what? like they don't just, they don't ask it like that. No, they say, they say, they start whining. They have one of those whiny whys. I was like, baby, we're not, we're not, I'm sorry. Like, no, we're not running in the sprinklers. But from their logic, running in the sprinklers is a very logical thing to do first thing in the morning. Because at one point, when I was not operating in parental wisdom, I allowed them to run in the sprinklers. And so based off of their past experience, we had fun then, daddy, we can have fun right now. But parental wisdom steps in and says, no, that's not the thing that we're going to do right now. And see, the whole role of parenting is trying to transition your children from operating from momentary logic or logic that is only concerned about what they're experiencing in this moment to moving them to actually making wise decisions. And I just feel on some level, that is the exact same thing that God is trying to do in our lives. That he is trying to get us to move from making decisions about our life based solely on our logic, which is based on our past experiences and failures and our desires, to moving to a position where now we are making decisions based on his infinite wisdom. And to make that shift from logic to God's wisdom, it requires faith. It requires us saying, God, you have a plan. And while I don't always understand your plan, and your plan doesn't always make sense to me, I believe that your plans for my life are better than anything that I could come up with or design for my life. And so, God, in this moment, I'm going to move from what I think is the best thing to do, and I'm going to step, take a step of faith, and I'm going to trust that what you have for me and what you're desiring for me and what you're planning for me, that this is actually the best thing for me. It requires you making a step of faith. Have you ever had to make a step of faith before? It's probably one of the most nerve-wracking things that you could experience in your Christian journey as you step out there and you actually move from what appears to be a place of security and you step out into nothingness. That step of faith might be you making a decision to leave a job. That step of faith might be you making a decision to end a relationship or you making a decision to start a relationship. That step of faith might be you making a decision to uh, break that glass barrier and have a conversation with your neighbor. That step of faith might be you actually taking that step to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive my parent, even though they have not asked for forgiveness. And from every logical opinion and perspective, they don't deserve forgiveness. But you are going to say, I'm not going to hold on to this resentment and to this bitterness any longer. I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to move from my position of logic to a position of God's infinite wisdom and I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let go. I'm going to 
to resign and give up this, this, this bitterness that I've been holding on to. Some of you have had to make a step of faith with your finances saying, God, you know what? I want to start trusting you with my money and start trusting you with my finances. Others of you all have had to make a step of faith in your marriage and say, God, you know what? He really is crazy and she showed up and lost her mind. But God, this is the person with her, I'm with, so I'm going to give them my best by faith. Like this step of faith actually is a very tough thing to make. But if you want to grow and mature in your Christian walk and really step into all that God has in store for you, it requires you at some point or another, every man and woman of God have had to and will have to take that step of faith. You have to. But when you take this step of faith and you're choosing to relinquish your plans and to step into what appears to be God's plans for your life, as foolish and as, as, as crazy as they may be, it, it, it really is you coming to an understanding of three fundamental principles about God. And I just want to give them to you real quick. Number one, and it's actually three texts. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9, I'm sorry that we don't have them on the screen for you today, but take notes, write them down, and you can look them up. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. That, that is, this is what it says. That is what the spirit, the scripture means. That is what the scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's say that one more time. That is what the scripture means, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What this scripture in 1 Corinthians, Paul, is really trying to communicate to us is that, that if you have never seen what God has in store for you and you have never heard about what God has in store for you, and you have never even imagined what God has in store for you, then I'm pretty sure that it won't make sense to you. Like, like what Paul is trying to get us to understand about God's plan for our life is that God's plan for our life is not something that we have, that we have heard of, that we have seen, that we have imagined, that, that whatever God says to you and that whatever God calls you to do, understand that that nine times out of 10, that whatever God calls you to do, it will in some capacity, it will contradict what your logic says. Because, because God doesn't operate the same way you and I operate. Like he doesn't make decisions based off of what we can see here or imagine, no. But he is otherworldly, he is supernatural, and he operates in infinite wisdom. Which means that the conclusions that he comes to are going to be significantly and substantially different than the conclusions you come to. That no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has and the plan of God for your life. And so because you've never seen it, heard it, or imagined it, most likely when you do see it, hear it, and imagine it, it won't make a lot of sense to you. It just don't make sense. Not because it doesn't make sense, but because you're operating from a different perspective. So from your perspective, it doesn't make sense. Like that's, that's like the first, the first principle that you really want to understand when it comes to the things of God. The second principle is, is found in Isaiah in chapter 55, a very familiar passage, verses eight and nine. As Isaiah 55, it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, verse eight, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine 
verse nine, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That when it comes to the plan of God, he's saying like, listen, like, like I'm on an entirely different wavelength than you. That my ways are not your ways. The way I move and the way I strategize and the way I plan, that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so, so, so great are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Which essentially God is saying to us, I don't think like you. I don't think like you. Like the thoughts that you have, I don't have those thoughts. Your orientation, I don't have that orientation. Your, your desires, your bias, your, your perspective, I don't have that same perspective. God doesn't think like you. Like, I think if we can, if we can accept that, right, that it would help us in this, in this Christian journey just a little bit. If we could just come to the understanding that, you know what, like for God, one plus one doesn't make two. Like sometimes it make two, but it don't always make two. Sometimes one plus one makes three. And sometimes one plus one makes four. And sometimes one plus one makes five. But God is essentially saying one plus one will make whatever I needed to make when I need to make it. Why? Because I don't think like you think. And we know this is true just from God's activity throughout Scripture, the way that God moves throughout Scripture and the way that God orients according to Scripture. He know, we know very clearly that the way that God does things today is not going to be the same way he did things yesterday, which is not going to be the same, thing he, same way he did things the day before. God says, I don't, I don't think like you. So when you hear and I reveal my plan to you, God, what do you mean you want me to sacrifice Abraham? You want me to sacrifice my son? Abraham has to understand that God doesn't think like me. This makes no sense to me, but to God, it makes perfect sense. But then the third principle is, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 25, it says, the foolish plans of God are wiser than the wisest of human plans. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chooses, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I mean, what Paul is trying to communicate is that the things in your life that you think are special or the things in your life that you think are foolish, rather, God says, I'm going to take those foolish things and I'm going to use those foolish things to make a spectacle of the things that you think are important. And so God, not only does he not think towards us, not knowing does he not think like we think, and not only does he, does he not, uh, can we have any, can't we even imagine the plans that he has for us, but God also is saying to us, listen, I do things differently. That God looks at the foolishness and he says, I can use that. God looked at the ordinary men that the world had cast aside, fishermen and tax collectors, and God says, I'm going to take these, these, crazy, these crazy men that no one thinks are worth anything and I'm going to transform the world with them. And God says, I can take your life, which no one, think has, has, no one thinks has amounted to anything and I can do great and mighty things in your life. 
doesn't matter where you've been or who you've been with or what's happened to you or what you have happened to. God says, no matter how foolish your life might look or no matter how damaged you might be or how, how depressed or discouraged you might be, God says, listen, listen, you meet the standard qualification. If there is breath in your lungs, air in your lungs, God says, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are or where you're from, I can do something with you. That he takes foolishness, people who have all types of sketchy past, who have like a rap sheet so long that the average person would be ashamed to even show your face in public. And God says, watch what I do with you. So, so, so we look at this and what we conclude very clearly is that there are times when God's plans and our plan look entirely different. But God actually has a plan. And even though it might appear that God's plan is foolishness, it's only because from, from, from your stand vantage point, you're not operating on the same infinite wisdom and principles that God is operating on. I just want to share with you one text real quick, which really illustrates this point. It's in John chapter 9, and it's only a few passages. I just want to share this with you real quick, and then we'll, we'll be done. In, in John chapter 9, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they come across a, a certain individual. And in this particular passage, the Bible says in verse 1 of John chapter 9, the Bible says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been, been blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus' response says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus, why was this man born blind? That, 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 that question that they ask about this blind man is, in my opinion, Paula, it is like the million-dollar question. They asked the question, why was this man born blind? Who sinned? What was the cause of this? Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? It's no different than the questions you and I ask all the time. God, why is my marriage like this? God, why am I like this? Why are my kids? Lord have mercy. Why are my kids like this? God, why, why, are my, why are my coworkers like this? God, why is this like this? Like we ask this question all the time. God, what is going on in my life? God, whose fault was this? Why is it that I'm not reaching the goals and the plans that I've set for myself? God, why, am, why is my, are my finances like this? Why is my, my health like this? God, what is going on? What have I done to deserve this raw hand that you've given me and that you've dealt me? This is the question that at one point or another we all ask. And, 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 and God answers this, this million-dollar question. And I love how God answers it. God says, you know, you know, you know listen, it's not about what you've done or, or what your parents have done, Right? That, that's not the issue at all. God says, no, 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 no. That's not the issue at all. And when God looks at you, when you with your million-dollar question, and you say, God, wh why am I like this? God is saying, listen, it's not what you've done. It's not what those around you have done. And in fact, what I'm, what I'm learning is, is, is in those questions, and I ask those questions all the time, right? As, as even as a pastor, I want to just debunk that. Like I at many times still ask the question, God, like, why is this happening? Why this situation? Why now? 
And a lot of times when I ask that question, you might experience this as well. God is silent on the answer. Have you ever experienced the silence of God in your life when you ask those million dollar questions? It's, it's like, God, like, why is this happening to me right now? And I'm looking for an answer and God just says nothing. And a lot of times what I've come to learn in my spiritual journey is that if God is silent, he's normally silent for one of two reasons. Number one, he's either silent because I'm not ready for the answer or he's silent or he's silent because I really, I really only want the answer. Like, I don't want him. I just want him to solve my problems. And so in this, I can only imagine how this, this blind man's family, his mother, his father felt because the common, the common theme, the common idea, the common teaching in Judaism at the time was that if you are experiencing some type of physical suffering, it is because of someone in your life or in your family has sinned. It is the consequence of some sin. I mean, can you imagine this man? I'm sure we don't know how old he was. But here he is, blind man from birth. He is a man. He's not a child. So he, at least 18 years he's been in this condition. And I can only imagine that, that at this point he had lost all hope. Maybe his parents had prayed for his healing. Maybe they visited all the doctors. Maybe they even visited the priests and they confessed their sins, hoping that somehow if they confessed their sins, that somehow that would heal their son. Maybe they just resign themselves to the reality that this is just the way things are going to be. A question that, that, that I'm sure his parents want to know is, is his condition, is what he's experiencing, is, the, is this the plan for his life? Is this all that there is? And I, I read the scripture and I want to know, well, well, well God, uh, was his condition really God's plan? And I just have to be honest with you, like, I don't know. I don't know if his condition was God's plan, no more than I know that your condition or whatever you're going through is God's plan. And I'm not suggesting that somehow if you're going through some type of suffering that God wanted you to suffer. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what the Bible does teach is that when you go through certain situations, that, that, that the reason you go through them have nothing to do a lot of times with what you've done or with what your parents have done. But that the reason why we go through certain situations is so that what Jesus is trying to teach us is so that God's power can rest upon us. Okay, let me, let me make it simple, right? I, I don't know if this was his fault or his parents' fault, but what I do know is that this was an opportunity. And that in life, you go through some things and as like hell is breaking loose in your family or in your marriage or in your finances, as, as all types of drama is popping off all around you, some of you might think, well, man, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And God is like, listen, I didn't ordain this in your life. Like, like whatever pain or suffering a lot of us are experiencing, that's just the consequence of living on this sinful world. But there are some things, no matter what we go through, that what God wants us to understand is no matter what you might be going through, no matter how messed up the plan of your life might appear to be, God's plan for you is that you would be able to leverage whatever situation you're facing and that your situation that you're facing 
might be a backdrop to God's power and to God's grace shining through your life. Let me, let me just try to break this down for you. That God, when you go through something, God is trying to, to do something in our life. Let me, let me just say it simply, that, that a lot of times the, the messed up plans we experience, that God is trying to develop something in us or he is trying to reveal something to you that, 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 that through that, he will then be able to, for you to uh, express the purpose of doing something through you. Let me, let me say it again. God is trying to develop something in you or reveal something to you for the express purpose of doing something through you. That when life is going haywire and it appears as though the plan that God is moving in your life or things are looking foolish all around you, understand that God is trying to develop something in you or he is trying to reveal something to you for the express purpose of doing something through you. Somebody put that in the chat for me. Somebody put that in the chat. I want you to get it. That when you are moving through life, you're moving through 2020, and you've lost a job, you've lost a loved one, you've lost your sanity, and you're like, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? God is like, listen, I did not ordain this to happen to you. Like, like I'm not the one ordaining suffering in your life. I'm not sending suffering to you. But what I want you to understand is that when you do go through some suffering, that what God wants us to understand is that all suffering, that through the suffering, God is trying to do something in us or he's trying to reveal something to us so that he can do something through us. You see, I, you see we have to understand fundamentally that Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Like, that's why I'm here. God says, I am going to, I'm creating Seth uh, brand new in Christ Jesus. Seth is my masterpiece. And I want Seth to do good works that I have planned for Seth to do before the foundations of the world. Boom. And he creates me. And so now I come into this life and I have purpose and I have calling and I have, I have, I have focus because I recognize that, wow, God has created me to do good works that he planned for me long before I was ever created. But what I have to understand is that as I move throughout this earth, I will go through some things and some things will happen to me. And when I go through some things and some things happen to me, I have to have the understanding that, you know what? Whatever I'm going through, that God is trying to do a work in my life or he's trying to reveal something to me so that he can do something through me. That whatever pain you are going through right now, that your pain has purpose. And that you might be questioning God's plan for your life because you're experiencing pain. 
And it might appear that God's plan doesn't make sense to you because you are experiencing pain and you can't understand, God, why would I do this? Why would I follow, follow you if it's going to lead me into pain? But I just want to let you know that God's plans don't always make sense, but God's plans always have purpose. They always have purpose. Always, always God doesn't just let us pass through hard times or through the valleys or through the fires just because. No, God is always trying to reveal something to us or do something in us so that he can do something through us. And when you understand God's plan and when you understand God's purpose, it puts your pain in perspective. So in John 9, they asked the question, who was, who sinned? And Jesus like, uh, he didn't sin or his parents didn't sin. No, no, I'm not going to get into that debate with you. What I want you to know is that his condition, being born blind, is an opportunity for my power to rest on his life. And your life, no matter how jacked up, and messed up, you might feel your marriages, your children are, your finances is, your health is, your job is, no matter how off course you might feel you are right now, understand fundamentally that no matter where you are or what you're going through, your life is an opportunity for God's power to rest on you. Because God specializes in taking things that are foolish, and off course, and jacked up, and messed up, and left over. He enjoys taking those things and turning them into something spectacular. So don't lose heart, and don't grow weary, and don't faint. Because if you just hold on, you will reap in due season. You will experience the blessing and the favor of God in do season if you faint not. So what is God trying to do through you right now? What is God trying to do through you right now? What is he trying to reveal? What is he trying to manifest? What is he trying to teach you? What is he, who is he trying to get you to bless? How, how is he trying to let your light be a, be a light to someone else? Your life be a light to someone else. If you can understand that, then even though it doesn't always make sense and even though it might seem like some foolishness, you'll understand that God's plan has purpose. You know, this is, is kind of like Thanksgiving leftovers. <laughs> yeah. You know, they always say that Thanksgiving is good, but the real test of how good Thanksgiving was is how good the leftovers are. And that when you think about your life, some of you all are in that leftover phase where the, the success and the, the fame and the, the good times, it feels like it's faded and all you have is you're, is you're left with these leftovers and it doesn't look like it's much. But God says, I, I specialize in taking mess, leftover life, leftover marriages, leftover parents, leftover children. I specialize in taking these leftovers and making something marvelous out of it. So I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that as you are walking and journeying through life, and it might feel like your life is off 
path or might feel like God is calling you off course and you're not quite sure understanding exactly what God is trying to do in your life right now. I want to pray that you would just, just step out and just trust that God is going to, that he'll lead you, that he's going to guide you, that he will, that he will not let you fail. And that at his heart, he has purpose. There is purpose in his plans for you. In fact, there's an old song, an old hymn that we're going to sing together. George is going to come and lead us in this song. And as he leads us in this song, my prayer is that you, wherever you are right now, that you would just lean in and that you would sing with us. Maybe you might be in a crowded space, hopefully not too crowded. But if you're in a space right now and maybe you just sing this song as your prayer, because we want to be able to lean into the plans of God, even though we don't always understand them. My, my hope is that you would be willing to take a step of faith, that you would take a step of faith and that you would know that you know, what is, even though it might not make sense, and even though you might be someplace that is less than ideal right now and it might appear foolish or all hell's breaking loose, that you would understand that there is. Because God wants to do something through you. So trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And I, and I believe he will direct your path. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just want to, in this moment, acknowledge that we don't always understand what you're doing in our life. But God, in this moment, we just believe. We believe that as we walk with you and journey with you, and even though you might lead us to some questionable places from our perspective, God, that you operate in infinite wisdom. And that when we find ourselves even in less than ideal situations and, it, and we might be there because of our own doing, decisions that we've made or decisions that have been made on us that we're experiencing the consequence of someone else's decision, that no matter how bad it might look, that every situation and every dilemma and every setback is an opportunity for your power to rest on us. And that you, you, you love taking foolishness and massaging it and, 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 and molding it into something majestic. And so, God, in this moment, we just lift our hearts to you and we say, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. Have your way. In Jesus' name.